Welcome all. Greetings. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Nick Peed APE Collaborative for September. We have an exciting day today, but again, I'm biased. I always think it's an exciting day. For the first half hour, we have a parents panel. So we're going to talk about balancing parenthood and professionalism. We have uh, Danielle Musser from Colorado, um, Dr. Amanda Young here from Long Beach States, and Chris Aarons from San Diego Unified. So we're going to chat with them for about 30 minutes. Uh, we'll have a chance to ask them some questions as well, uh, if the audience has any questions. And then we're going to break into uh, Zoom breakout rooms. We're going to do a higher ed room, a practitioner room, but you may join any room you want. So if I assign you to a room and you want to be in the other room, just let me know. Easy switch. Uh, we will stop the recordings when we're in the breakout room. But I'll proctor a room, um, Amanda will proctor a room, and we'll bring it back with, I don't know, around 10 minutes or so left, and we'll, we will summarize what was discussed in both of the, the rooms. So we'll take some good notes and catch everybody back up to speed, and we will go back live uh, for the summary. So welcome all, and thanks for joining us. So to begin with our parent panel, note that not every panelist will answer every single question because it just may not be applicable to them and their experience. So to begin, why don't we have each of our three panelists just kind of introduce themselves. So we're gonna start with Danielle Musser because she's kind of the inspiration for this podcast. We brought this, <laughs> yeah, we brought this up uh, in a podcast last year. And we're like, oh, what a good idea. And we made it come to fruition this year. So Danielle, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Danielle Musser, and I'm currently an adjunct professor at Colorado Mesa University. Prior to this, I taught for eight years in the Montrose County School District in Colorado. So I have two kiddos. I have a four and a two-year-old, and I did that during the pandemic. So I feel like I've had some real good experience in this whole parenting while being an itinerant teacher. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Amanda. Hi, a newest member to the parent club. <laughs> yes, eight, well, good old eight months in almost. There's my little birthday baby. <laughs> so before uh, before I was a parent, I was the daughter of an APE teacher. So shout out to my mom. Um, so she was an APE teacher while uh, we were growing up. So that was an interesting aspect to be able to see that she was kind of there there for everything in our schooling time, which was great. Um, and now I am a new mother of baby Brooks, who is eight months old and trying to navigate what it means now to be a mother and a professor. And it's it's a lot. Um, but so I'm excited to, to share my experiences. And Chris. Thanks, Melissa. I'm Chris Aarons. I'm one of the lead adapted PE teachers in the San Diego Unified School District, along with uh, two other uh, incredible teachers. Uh, I am the father to two monsters that are 18 months old and four years old named Hannah and Mallory that uh, if you see all these gray hairs on my head right now, they are the driving force behind. So uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. <laughs> thanks all. And I should introduce myself too. I'm Melissa Bittner, associate professor at CSU Long Beach. She'll be the moderator today. And I also have a daughter, uh, Quinn, who's nine. So I can also speak from experience. 
Um, all right, our first question, and any of the panelists in any order may feel free to chime in on this one. This is when preparing for your first child when teaching, did you have anyone in your department that helped you navigate prepping for maternity leave? I think we should start with Amanda on this one. Okay, so new for me. <laughs> um, but yes, I actually have a couple faculty in my department that um, one dad was due just about 10 days before us. And so that was really nice to kind of have. And then another faculty who had two kids that are uh, just older than uh, Brooks. So it's been really helpful to kind of navigate that maternity kind of leave with being able to ask questions. Who do I talk to? What are my options? Um, so asking another faculty member um, was very helpful for me. She kind of helped point me in the right direction. So that was really nice to have. For me, I'm in rural Colorado. And so I was the only adaptive PE teacher for my whole district. And so definitely didn't have anyone to lean on in that regard. And the next closest place is Grand Junction. Um, and so really wasn't having too much luck in having to navigate that with other staff members, but I did reach out to the occupational therapist, the physical therapist, and any other specialist in our district that had had a baby in the last 10 to 15 years to try to get some advice on who, what to do and who to talk to and um, how to plan for how my services would be covered during maternity leave. And then uh, for me, uh, there were definitely other parents in my department that I could lean on. Uh, I think it's a unique perspective because my district at the time only offered one day of paternity leave. So it's pretty easy to get ready for one day, I suppose. Wow. Um, but uh, don't worry, don't worry. Our union has been bragging that they tripled our paternity leave to three days. So we've, oh we've gone and knocked that out of the park. Um, so for me, it was actually figuring out how do I balance, <clears throat> obviously that one day, but then the time afterwards of how do I put it in the system the right way. Um, and there were some, luckily I had a good amount of time saved up uh, as I don't miss work too frequently. Um, but that was probably the biggest balancing act for me. And there were some people that um, from the moms to the dads, we are a staff of 39. So there were certainly people to talk to pretty basically the opposite of Danielle's experience. You're, you're right. Especially as a practitioner, you have to have someone who's trained with your like state added authorization or certificate. Like not anyone can just come in and be an APE sub. So that makes, especially as a practitioner, that in maternity leave or paternity leave is especially challenging time then. And did Danielle or Chris, did your district help you find a maternity or paternity leave sub? No. So, Absolutely um, not. <laughs> oh, sorry, Danielle, did not mean to speak over you there. Um, I didn't need one. I So I did it wrong. I only took a week with my first child, which in hindsight was not nearly enough. That was also just out of like naivete. I'm like, oh, like a week, right? Quite honestly. Um, I took two weeks with my second daughter, but it backed up to the end of the year. Um, so that's why I will say that for our district, I am proud of our department. My co-teachers, actually, Laura Broadfear is listening in here too, and Katrina McClanahan. Uh, we work really hard as the leads to find the maternity leave subs for our teachers. Um, we lean on our retired teachers quite a bit, try to really encourage them to come back. We keep 
good relationships with them. And it's not even just maternity leave, whether it's a, a bereavement for the loss of a family member. We had someone that unfortunately went through something difficult last year. And we, we, we plugged holes on a dam with three retired teachers split across the schedule, but we made it work. So um, Katrina and Laura uh, really take the lead on that, which I'm grateful for, but we really try to support our staff through that. This question is, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying question... that I really appreciate hearing that. Oh. <laughs> this question is probably for you, Danielle, um, because you were, you know, the one in this situation while you were pregnant. Obviously, you might have students on your caseload um, that might be aggressive. Were you ever concerned or worried about being pregnant while being, you know, while teaching? Absolutely. There was definitely some students on my caseload that I thought it, it would be very dangerous for me to be in a room with them alone. Um, and so I specifically like said to my school district, for safety's sake, I have to have a paraprofessional when working with these students or I need the, their teacher to come with them um, while I'm providing these services because it was just it was just too dangerous for me, in my opinion. Um, to be able to do that alone. Great, and they complied, they did provide the para for you? They did, it was it was definitely something that I had to advocate for and I really had to, to lean in and stand by that decision. Um, but I think when they saw that like I was, I could not do that without it, um, then, then they did say yes. For all three of you, looking back to the time while you were pregnant uh, in teaching, is there any advice or tips you'd like to share? I think, so in higher ed, um, our students are very, uh, they have a lot of grace and they they gave me a lot of grace if, you know, I needed to sit down. I'm a, I'm a standing teacher. I teach and walk and move around and but at the same time, I'm very active. So we still did the games and the activities and, you know, we're running and playing and all those good things. So um, just remember to balance your own wellness <laughs> in addition to your teaching, I think is important. Um, and what I wasn't expecting was I had three students that were also pregnant at the same time. So that was really interesting <laughs> for, for me to experience. Um, obviously, I'm older and, just, you know, at a different point in my life, but um, it was kind of nice to be able to connect with those students. Um, but at the same time, one of those students did miscarry. And so that was really really challenging for me as, as a pregnant woman to be in a class working so closely with one of my students who had just gone through a miscarriage. And so um, definitely was not prepared for that, but again, tried to be open and um, as communicative as possible and provide support where I can. Um, obviously, I'm there to teach them how to teach PE, but you know, you don't think that you'd also teach women how to, you know, go through this together. And so that was something that I wasn't prepared for, but um, I enjoyed having that connection with my students. I think having a kit in your car as an itinerant teacher is a great thing to have. Um, a few essentials that I recommend in that kit are Tums and Vicks Vapor Rub. And the Vicks Vapor Rub I recommend um, to put just a little bit underneath your nose before you see students. Um, sometimes there's a lot of smells in classrooms. And as someone who was a huge projectile vomiter 
Um, I needed whatever I could to, to try to tame that down. Um, compression socks are highly recommended and making sure that you schedule times throughout your itinerant schedule to where you can kind of elevate your feet a little bit, I think is a big must do throughout your day. So then that way you don't come home like swollen beyond recognition. <laughs> um, I'll speak to the partners that um, don't give birth to the baby here, um, but I will say take your time but not like, like literally your time off, like take it and don't feel guilty about it. Like be there, be home. Um, and I think as there's a stigma in society a bit, or maybe I just internalize this myself, but you know, um, you know, you you didn't give birth. So you, you need to get back. Like how much bonding time do you need? Right. And I would say whatever your district allows for, if that means dipping into your personal time and you have it, use it if you even want to go the extra step and you know utilize fmla even though that can impact you know your pay and whatnot depending on it um you know if you've gone through all your time but you still want to take it take whatever you feel comfortable with that you and your family need um it's really critical and you know it's it's the old adage but you don't get that time back right so take that time um and then the other thing i would just say on the professional side as um as expecting parents and th this falls more on um, the partner that is carrying the child for sure that they already have to do so much. And as Amanda pointed out, you know, take care of your own wellness. Um, but I will speak from a lead perspective. It's really helpful um, if you can kind of have things organized so that when we pass things off, um, you know, some notes about your students, you know, what are some of their triggers? What are some of their rewards they work well for? Certainly not anything too in-depth, but the more you help us be organized and let us know if there's any IEP meetings coming up that we need to get coverage for, any assessments we need to get coverage for, that's also helpful for us so that it can be smooth for everyone. You don't need to worry while you're out then. And then also the team at your school sites can uh, relax knowing that there will be coverage across all the different domains that we touch. Hey, thanks all. Next question. So this one's probably for Danielle and Amanda. If you decided to pump at work returning from maternity leave, do you have any advice for our listeners? My biggest piece of advice is first off, you have to advocate yourself for yourself and say, this is when I'm doing this. because I had a strict pump schedule. And yes, it went into the times that I had already scheduled for students throughout the year, but I wanted to make sure that my supply stayed up. And so I was like, no, this is what's happening and I'll redo my entire schedule mid-year and that's okay. It's okay to do that. Um, I also did invest in um, the LV pump system, which is a completely hands-free, tube-free pumping system. And so that way, um, safely when my car was stopped, I could put those on and then pump when I was traveling in between schools. And, um, and that was just a game changer for me. And uh, I actually strangely have an opinion on this, Melissa, that you would not expect. But, <laughs> oh, um, apologies. No, I, um, and uh, no, I just want to share that my wife actually had a really hard time um, pumping and breastfeeding. And so just, I think, empathy as um, if, as we encounter women who need to do that, um, 
to provide for their child, like the most basic of needs, right? Just to have empathy and compassion for them. And if you're in a leadership position, ensuring that they have a space to do it, that they have the time to do it and like, just not making a thing of it. Like it's just, it's a part of their day that they have to go and do. You have the private conversation, you support them, you make sure that they have what they need. Um, and if they come back to you in need of some other support because of it, that we're there for them. So um, just having to have been the spouse when it wasn't great and the stress that I saw that came on with it. Um, I just think it's really important that we, um, that we just are there for them, right? It can be, it can be, it can be a great experience for some moms and it can be really hard for others. Yeah, good point. And I'll jump in there. It was really hard for me and it did not come easy. And I'm at eight months. We, we finished at six months. So, um, but I did, uh, we had camp over the summer. So I was pumping in the car on my drive up and then I would step away and pump again. And, and then again on my, on my way home. So just kind of navigating that and trying to figure out how can I step away? And I am, of course, ever so thankful for my partner in crime, Melissa, because she was super supportive of when I did need to step away. Um, also, luckily, I have this wonderful office space so I can come into my office and close the door. And I do have a fridge. So that is wonderful. But um, on our campus, there's not a pump room or um, um, a family room Uh in our building or in the building that we teach in, it's, you know, across campus. So that's something to really take into consideration, which is against the law here in California. You have to have those spaces available. So um, if I didn't have my office, I don't, I don't know what I would do or where I would go. So that's definitely a concern. But Chris, I really appreciate you saying that having empathy and having patience because it is not easy. And that if anyone is looking to become a parent for the first time, I think breastfeeding was one of the hardest things that, that I had to encounter. Um, luckily now we have zoom and I, you know, I bought a little cover for my camera so I can cross that over. So black out my screen just in case I need to be feeding or, or doing whatever I need to be doing, but still involved and listening in on meetings and participating um, as much as I could. But you're right, especially as an APE teacher being itinerant and you might service five, six, seven different schools, that, that is a big challenge. And you certainly, yeah, luckily technology is a little better now where you can pump in your car. I see that, Heidi. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Um, but it's, yeah, still very much a challenge. If anybody, um, I do want to, just one thing. Sure. I want to say if anyone is an itinerant teacher and they would like to like talk more in depth about that, about some tips and tricks or what to do because I had to set it up with all 15 school sites on where I was going to pump at every school and then send them a rough idea of when that was going to be um, and then come up with creative ways to block all different sized windows. Um, so if anybody wants to talk about that, please feel free to, to send me a message and I'd be, I'd be happy to connect. Wow, I can't imagine the time, like just the time that it took you to organize that and advocate for that and push for that. So, what? Yes. <laughs> ah, all right. Baby is here. What was the process to find childcare once you returned back to teaching? I remember um, we were we started. So my daughter was due in February, and I think we started making calls. I don't know, maybe even like nine months before that, or I felt like we were ahead of the game and we actually weren't apparently. So I would call a place 
And they would say, oh, we have a two-year waiting list. And I'm like, that child's not conceived yet. So I don't understand how you have a two-year waiting list. <laughs> this makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, and so you, if you think you're early, you need to be even earlier. So if anybody's listening and they happen to be pregnant and you haven't started yet, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to give the realities. And maybe my experience living in a, a very populated area is different than elsewhere too. I, I, I can only speak to that. Um, and then finding a place that you're comfortable with, right? This is your pride and joy, something you've never loved as much as you, as you love in your life. Um, so finding, striking the right balance between that. And then for me, the last piece, and then I'll, I'll be really interested to hear both Danielle and Amanda's thoughts is once we added the second child in and one's going into preschool and luckily enough, we were able to get a daycare preschool combo. So it was one drop off. Um, but there's plenty of, um, families that have to do two drop-offs and how do you balance that? And again, what's best for your family. So I would just say, um, whether you're going to go the nanny route or you're going to go a daycare route, um, just just be early and be in front of it. We lucked out for the my oldest first two years. My, we did it in home with the wife of one of my wife's coworkers. Um, so we lucked out really well and then slid into preschool where we were able to get, like I said, that daycare set up. But it's an added stress and it's not just an added stress, I think, on one parent. It's an added stress on the family and trying to trying to figure that out. Danielle or Amanda, anything to add? I think, um, I think I'll, oh, oh go, go ahead, Danielle. Okay, so for me, uh, my I have a very supportive husband. So my husband and I kind of trade off our time and he stays with Brooks when I come up to campus. And um, one thing about working in higher ed is that our schedules are somewhat flexible. So I'm able to teach all of my classes on uh, three days a week. And then the other two days I've got meetings and research and all that good stuff. Um, so when I do come to campus, Brooke stays with my husband. And then when I'm at home, I'm kind of managing so my husband can work. So I'm with the baby and doing meetings. So several of you have seen Brooks in meetings with me because that's just how life is right now. And I think, you know, we need to do a better job of normalizing mothers in the workforce. And, you know, Barry and I have had several conversations when he had his kids, you know, he was like, all right, wife, take, you know, you're taking the kids and I'm going to work. And that's not necessarily a reality for us um, these days. So I think we have to be be really mindful of that, um, but and and being supportive of families in the workplace. And I'll just quickly add for myself, um, we prior to even conceiving, um, we were looking at which schools might be the best fit for us in terms of daycare. And then uh, as soon as we had a positive pregnancy test, we had already been on a wait list for three months um, just to prep. And then we were able to give them that exact timeline of when things would happen. Um, same thing for my son. Uh, even though it was the pandemic, we still were in contact with the same facility to make sure that we had a space for our son before he was even conceived. So, cause I did the two under two route. <laughs> and just the let's bring up the topic. It's so expensive for childcare. My goodness, that like an entire salary goes towards just paying for childcare, especially when you've got you know multiple kids now, um, and, and that puts a lot of you know stress on families. Yeah, and then Melissa, it was very um, pertinent to today's conversation. My youngest is home sick, so that meant I stayed home for the first part of the day. 
my wife ran in and got her sub plans done and took a meeting even. Um, and then she came running home to relieve me so that I could come in. Or there was a time last year that my oldest had an ear infection, which is obviously not contagious. And I was just like, I can't take another day because when the kids are sick, you got to take a day. So I brought her along, you know, I set her up and, you know, being a PE teacher, they love all the stuff you have in your office as I look around at it right now. So, um, but yeah, and the price is unreal. It's a mortgage. Yep. <laughs> uh, ooh, great question here. How do you balance parenthood and work responsibilities? I think I'll be the first to admit I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, and I don't know that everyone ever figures that <laughs> right, out. Right, I think we all that. still are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the best thing is having a supportive network. So at work, at home, I think that's that's really important. And also giving yourself grace. Like for me, it's, you know, I can't, I can't keep up with Melissa. I just can't. She does so many wonderful things and it, it, I can't compare myself to that because we're, di we're different. We're at different phases in our life and, and that's okay. And that's, you know, the fact that we can work so well together and that we help each other pick up the pieces has been really great to have a supportive partner, um, here, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, still definitely trying to figure it out. So most of the time when Brooks is napping, I am very, you know, quick at getting a lot of things done. And so, you know, probably you see a lot of emails from me between, you know, 10 and 12 and then after 8 p.m. Because then when he goes to bed, then again, I can get out and start working. And, you know, you become very, very efficient with the time that you do have. Um, and I'll say, you know, everyone says you can survive on very little sleep. And uh, that is so true. And I never really understood that until I am, you know, in the depths of raising a child, but it's possible. Um, it's hectic and crazy, but, but we do it. So my tidbit. Yeah. I, I love the, some people on the bottom of their like email signatures. I don't know if any of y'all notice this trend. There's, I, I pulled one up from a colleague who has it on their email. I think this is kind of um, interesting and along the lines of parenthood. And the, at the bottom of the email signature, it says, if I'm emailing you during non-traditional work hours, please know that I honor and respect boundaries around personal time, well-being, caretaking, and rest. Please feel no pressure to respond and know that I will gladly receive your response when you are working again. So I, I kind of love that. And I think anyone who is a parent kind of understands that, yeah, you do things when it works for you. I also love the send the timer on emails. And sometimes if you all get like flurries that email me, you know, from me like 8 a.m., it's because I probably sent it off at like midnight, but didn't want to send someone an email at midnight. So I sent the little timer uh, on the email to send it at maybe a little more appropriate time. <laughs> uh, Chris, Danielle. I have two things that I think are really important for people is number one, it's okay to say no. I literally just said no to someone today. They asked me to sit on a board for like a local group that works with individuals with disabilities. And I said, that is so wonderful that you thought of me. I have too much on my plate at this time and I have to say no. Maybe someday when I have a little bit less, I can take that on, but today is not that day. So it's okay to say no. Opportunities will come knocking again. And the second thing I have to say is communicate, communicate, communicate. Your partner in life, marriage, however you do things, that person 
is is there for you for a reason. So lean on them and they will lean on you and communicate with them. And if you do that, then you're going to feel less stressed out because you're telling them what you need and they're telling you what they need. I think to build off Amanda's point of, you know, emailing when you can, I also think we shouldn't assume guilt for that, right? We're doing the best we can. Um, and I think if, and to Danielle's point about communication, whether it's with a significant other or colleagues, um, if you're upfront about that, um, that I think most people, again, should should have an understanding for that. Uh, when I assumed my lead position, um, I couldn't have had better coworkers either that were really understanding. And so they're also really understanding that uh, in my relationship, I'm typically the one that has to miss time for work today, notwithstanding, or be the one that has to leave work early to go get the kids. It's just a little more easy with the flexibility of being an adaptive PE teacher versus a classroom math teacher that my wife is. Um, and so uh, as, as colleagues, I think it's really important that we are supportive of those parents as, um, again, they may be communicating at not traditional hours, or they may have some unique needs within their day that we need to be understanding of. So that's what I would add to the great comments made so far. Great. And last question here, some final tips or advice to any expectant parents. Just don't do it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, obviously, I have a dry sense of humor. No, it's that's um, just be prepared for your life to change like immediately. Like there's no there's no you think like it's changing through the pregnancy Again, just speaking from the partner's perspective, I want to be clear, so much respect to the partners that go through it because I would have tapped out real early in that process. <laughs> but um, just uh, your life changes absolutely immediately. And no matter what can be said, we'll really prepare you for that. Just try to be ready for that. Um, you think you'll have time to do things. You don't. Um, 5 to 8 p.m. at night is the busiest you've ever been in your life because you are negotiating with um, little human beings who don't have the skills to actually negotiate just to try to get them to bed. So um, I would just say, be prepared for your life to be flipped upside down. Um, to Danielle's point, communicate with your partner. Um, it's critical. Um, you really can't do it. I mean, so much respect to individuals that can do it by themselves. Um, I would not be one of those people. Um, so just communicate and just be ready for um, chaos, essentially. <laughs> Uh, my piece of advice is um, to all those carrying, um, know that it is okay to take the time that your body needs to heal and know that there's going to be some skills when you're demonstrating to your students during the pregnancy and postpartum that you may not be able to do anymore. Um, I had um, a really nice uh, four-finger uh, DR split, so like my abs split. Um, and so there was a ton of things that I could not do um, to, you know, to make sure that I was healing properly. So know that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to ask for someone else to come in and demonstrate skills and just keep advocating in every way, shape and form that you need to for your body to stay healthy. Yeah, I'm gonna add on to that, Danielle. So I'm eight months postpartum and I just taught my students the fitness gram. And so we're going through all of the activities and I'm a big proponent of, you know, I want you to do this with your students, so I'm gonna do it with you. And I got down to do the curl-ups and could not do two curl-ups. And I, I mean, I, I go to boot camp, I am in shape, I'm getting, you know, I'm strong, but 
I could not do the curl ups. And one of my students busted out laughing and she felt of course, terrible because then we talked about it like, okay, you know, my body has changed and it's different now and that's okay. Um, but also I wanted to show them that we can try these things and we might not be able to do them, but Hey, I'm a mother now and my body is different and that's okay. So let's have these conversations. Let's, you know, show up for our students and, and be there to kind of talk about these difficult times because, you know, it wasn't always like that. I, you know, I used to be able to do curl ups, but not now that's not the case. Um, so kind of just being there to empathize with my students and help them understand that, you know, parenthood changes you. And for anyone that's expecting or thinking about going that route, it is the best thing that I've ever done and, and the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, you know, hell, take that dissertation and throw it out the window, man. It does not compare <laughs> to having a child. <laughs> but just um, be grateful. Yeah, well said. At this time, let's open it up for any questions for our panelists. No? No questions? You're letting them off easy today? <laughs> Barry, that's not like you. <laughs> oh, you're on mute. You're on mute. <laughs> um, I have a, a lot of thoughts. I mean, I, I thought I'd wait till we got in a breakout because I think in higher ed, I think one of the real challenges is um, uh a female faculty member versus a male faculty member. And um, even though like um, the first year, my wife and I split, like, because I, I taught at uh, mostly night classes and in the afternoon, like the first year, like she, she taught half time, she'd come back in the afternoon and, and I'd go to work and, and that was challenging. But I, I still think like when the kids were sick, uh, even though I've tried to be there for them, they want their mother, you know? And so that's just one of the um, realities sometimes in, um, uh, uh, of that. I think a lot of times it's, it's put on um, the mom is, re you know, is required to do a lot more. Um, also, like when I did this split thing um, and I was just teaching my night club, it was 1991 and it wasn't like it was very different. You were expected to be in your office from eight to five, you know. Um, you know, this was just around the time that people had, had computers. I mean, if you wanted to get anything done, half the time you had to be in your office, you know, and stuff. And so anyway, that's one um, one thought. I mean, I, I thought that's something maybe we could talk about in the, in the breakout with higher ed people is the because that's a real challenge, I think. Perry, I don't think it's just higher ed because right. my kids like my wife a lot more than me. And <laughs> sure. so um, the the reality of, I, I, I take that back a little bit. We have our roles, right? We have our roles as parents. I'm the one mm -hmm. that plays, but my wife, when there's a skin knee or they're hungry or they need a hug, that's the one she goes to. And so I would just sit, building off your point because it's a really good one. I would just say to parents too, um, you can't take that personal. So when you say like, how do you prepare to be a parent was one of the questions. That's one thing right. you're not really ready for to be like, um, not preferred, right? So um, mm -hmm. you can't take it personal. And I think it's really important that whichever spouse um, or uh, partner is the preferred one that as a, as the other partner in this, that we, you know, you still offer to be like, hey, can I step in and help? Even if it sure. means the child is going to be 
Um, you know, not, not thrilled that you're the one stepping in, but that's a really good point that, you know, that there is preferences among the kids and, um, the way society is, it does continue to be mothers, I think, because of how much mothers are needed in those first year, let's say, you know, yeah. um, but no, it's a real thing. The preference yeah. part. Great point. Yeah. I was always fun dad. And even like when it became the beha behavior management, my wife would say, I'm calling up human kinetics and I'm telling them to take your book off the, <laughs> the shelf because you just, maybe you can write about it, but you need to implement it too. And not always be fun dad. So anyway, so. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> All right. Anything else for our panelists? I just wanted to chime in about the sub issue. Mm -hmm. because yeah. I think it's it's I mean especially you know when you're having your first one having all of them is stressful I only have two but I think it's even more stressful for us because sometimes we don't know if there's going to be a sub there might be a sub there might not and that puts pressure on the rest of our department if there isn't one and I remember scrambling at not only like Chris was saying, trying to get everything in order for whoever might be covering for me, but then also trying to find my own sub because I felt like I didn't want to leave my department with that. And then when you're out, it can stress you out too. Cause you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not there. My kids might not be getting seen. And then when you go back, you might have to do makeup services because that has happened in our district for different types of medical leave, not just maternity leave that they have not been able to find a sub. Um, so that is, it's, it's a huge issue. And I think it adds to the stress of everything. And, and part of that is unique to our position and our job that most of the time there aren't qualified subs, uh, to step in for us when, when we need them to. So, um, it, it, that part is tough. And even though my kids are older now, <laughs> I have a 12 year old and a 14 year old. I still remember that. <laughs> And I can add to that real quick, Heidi. My mom is a retired APE teacher uh, in San Diego, not San Diego Unified, but um, she worked or the person that took her spot just went out on maternity leave almost a year ago. And so my mom was brought in to sub and my mom could only cover, you know, a little bit of the maternity time and the district could not find a sub for her. So she ended up having to um, like make up her time after she came back from maternity leave, which is, that's not fair. That's not fair for these teachers. And so it's a huge issue that our particular field has to be mindful of. And, and what, like, what a weight I would, I would hate to have that weight on my shoulders to think that, you know, it's, it's your responsibility and you can't even go and have a kid without thinking, you know, I've got no one to cover my classes and I'm just going to have to make up the minutes when I come back. So that's a huge issue that we have to be mindful yeah. of. On top of being, you know, stressed out and not sleeping because you have a newborn at home. Yeah. And I guess well, it was the same for us too, because uh, the person that was hired to take my classes ended up not teaching one of the classes. And so, you know, right before I went out, then I had to work with another faculty to kind of figure out how to teach that class. And she was asking me questions and I'm in, in the hospital texting me, what do I do for this week? What, you know, and, and I'm trying to respond and share and do, and at one point I just had to say, I'm so sorry. I can't help you out anymore. I I've got to focus on my job right now, which is, you know, having a baby. <laughs> Great conversation. Thank you. Thank you to Danielle, Amanda, and Chris, our panelists. 
at this time, I'm going to bounce you into a breakout room. Amanda's going to lead the higher ed um, breakout room. I'll be with the practitioners. Um, this can really be a hot topic. Talk about anything. You can certainly continue on a conversation with parenting if you want, or you can just, hey, what's going on in your neck of the woods? What's something that we all need to be aware of? Uh, we have our, here we go. Our second room is pop, uh, popping back in. So hopefully all had, well, I guess I think they're wrapping up in their last 30 seconds. <laughs> They want to, hey, they had a lot to chat about. <laughs> all right, welcome back all. So we'll do a little summary recap of our two breakout rooms. Amanda, do you want to go first? Chat sure. about what you all discussed? Yeah, so Emily had some really great questions about um, tenure and promotion. And so that's definitely something to take into consideration before you go on maternity leave. Like how are your classes going to be covered? Is that going to impact your, your chances for tenure and promotion? And um, we kind of talked about different unions have different support, if that's something that your university has. Um, trying to figure out your coverage, what that looks like. Are you going to have to report your time or, you know, in your reviews and all of that. Um, and then Barry suggested that it's also could be potentially an option to bump your, um, your time. So maybe you get an extra semester before you go up or whatever that is. So just consider thinking that through um, and what that's going to look like in your own university and higher ed. Uh, and then we also talked about priorities and priorities change when you have kids. And so kind of being mindful of that and giving yourself grace and kind of figuring out again, that balance side that that's going to look different for everyone. Um, and then we also talked about kind of the resiliency of, of kids and people today that might be a little different than, you know, what it was a couple of years ago or a couple of decades ago. Um, in that, you know, so Barry said, I brought Brooks to campus the other day for, you know, our workshop and our lunch. And we recorded a whole podcast and he sat in the little room and he didn't make a peep. And I was so proud of him. <laughs> um, but I think, like we said before, just, you know, being mindful that kids can be around and they can be resilient. And, and when we can involve our kiddos in our programming, that's so beneficial for our students, for our, our own children and for the kids in the you know, in our practicums where, you know, we're teaching our students about kids with disabilities and, and our kids are also learning about kids with disabilities. And I know, Melissa, you can speak to that because Quinn has been involved in all of our programs. Yeah, she comes to Camp Nugget. She comes to the after school program. She's a peer buddy. And I, yeah, I think it's great that she learns about inclusion and continuum of human movement from a really early age. Yeah, yeah. All right. I and would say... Oh, very I would say that's a real plus of, about our program is that, you know, bring your kid to work is we have something that's fun and exciting as opposed to other, you know, and really do getting them involved. And even like after, you know, when when my kids were involved with Camp Nugget and our after school program, we could talk about it at dinner. You know, we could bring up oh, these yeah. scenarios and, and it was a great conversation at dinner. And it, my second really needed to learn empathy as opposed to my first, you know, so it was good. You know, and, and that's another thing I, I forgot. Um, when my mom taught ESY, I went with her in the summers and hello, now I'm an AP teacher. And so, you know, that had a great, a huge impact on me. And I loved those kids and I love spending summers with my mom playing games and, you know, playing with kids. So it's 
good. All right. Thank you for sharing our breakout room. We chatted about the National APE Conference that's coming up on November 2nd through the 4th. Make sure that you register. The early bird deadline for registration is coming up October 2nd. So get that registration in. We also chatted about um, school districts having lead APE teachers, kind of like what San Diego Unified has. Do you all have three? co-lead teachers and they have a small caseload they do a lot of the paperwork and you know administrative and advocacy and the importance and kind of how that looks for their district especially if you have a school administrator that maybe doesn't know much about adapted pe this is a great liaison um between the two we also chatted about well um how do you get students on an APE caseload? And we chatted about having a referral system in place because that's kind of where the, you know, the buck starts here. If you don't have a referral, you're not getting on that IEP. And so it's so important to have a referral system in place for school districts. We talked about preschool assessment teams and how APE needs to be a part of that preschool assessment team. Um, and I'm adding my own, this, this one's my own thought, but Realized today the Talking APE podcast, Chris's podcast dropped today, and I just wanted to give a shout out their website, justadaptit.com. Um, it, it's a great resource. It has a lot of cool um, gifts. It has a different, you know, different uh, curriculum ideas. So check that out uh, if you are not familiar. Great podcast. Yeah. It's very practitioner oriented, uh, and the website is a, a nice accompaniment to it. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to it while I was working out today, Chris. It was good. Good website. A lot of good information. Did we get your heart rate up? You, you bet. It got my heart rate. There we go. It's that, I can sleep at night now, Barry. That's great. Uh, Guaranteed moderate to vigorous physical activity when you listen to this podcast. That's right. That's right. No, Thank but if anybody has ideas, sorry, Melissa, sorry, just uh, since you brought it up, I just really quickly want to say that. If any of you have ideas about things that you would like to learn about, so as Melissa said, it is intended to be practitioner focused. Um, <clears throat> I am open to ideas. Um, the, we are a small field, so it, the well runs dry, so to speak, kind of quickly, but I think it's really important to continue to share knowledge. So uh, please don't hesitate to send ideas my way. Uh, I am absolutely open to that. Right. Thank you all for joining us. Another big kudos. Thank you to Amanda, Chris, and Danielle for our parenting and professionalism. Thanks all for uh, Hot Topics. Our next APE Collaborative for October will be Friday, October 13th. And the topic is going to be what I learned about in my first year of teaching. We're going to have uh, Lainey Case from CSU Chico and Samantha Ross from West Virginia University. They're going to spend 20 minutes or so on higher ed. And then Elsie Gutierrez and Ivan Reyes Acosta, both from Los Angeles Unified School District, are practitioners and talk about what they learned in their first year of teaching. So hope you all can and uh, can join us next time. All right. Bye, all. Till then. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.